Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 1. Are you there? Is anybody there? Are you guys awake this morning? All right. Do you need to pinch your neighbor? All right. Listen, I, I, I like when people talk back to me, okay? If I, if I feel like I'm alone, then I get long-winded. And I'll preach double. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. But please, please help me. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this. The former account I, this is Luke, one of the disciples. He also wrote the book of Luke. Uh, uh, that I, Luke, O Theophilus, of, uh, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days in speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Everybody say, wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, uh, for truly John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons with which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. power. Uh, this is like, like the cornerstone of Pentecostal church. If you, you're in a spirit-filled church, you better memorize this if you haven't already. You shall receive power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that. You understand the power is not just to give you goosebumps and, you know, Holy Ghost tickles. Uh, there's a function for the, the, the ministry, the baptism in the Spirit. And so it's to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Wow. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Mighty God, I thank you for your word. And I ask that you will speak to us in the mighty name of Jesus. The very same thing that you were depositing in the apostles in this moment. God, I ask that you would release in our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for a great anointing to rest upon me. That I would preach with authority as I ought to. And I ask you to anoint every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear in a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking today. I bind the works of the enemy. He who would seek to distract or distort or confuse the word as it comes forward. Lord, give us liberty in receiving all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This, oh my goodness, I could just live in the book of Acts and preach out of it. In fact, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm really praying about if I uh, need to do a series out of Acts. You pray for me if that's what the Lord desires to do. It's very important because really we begin to see in this chapter how, how God uh, was releasing the intentions, the things that he had done through the prophets in the Old Testament, individuals like Moses, and then through Jesus. Now he's handing the reins over to the local church. 
And we see exactly how these guys handled uh, that exact thing. And and let me just tell you from the get-go, guys, it was incredible. The feats and the things that were accomplished through the apostles of Jesus Christ were mind-boggling. In fact, a, a little piece of history that you may not know uh, and, and kind of dealt. Now, I'm, I'm going to prepare you. Don't get offended by what I'm about to say, okay? You're, you're bracing yourself for offense, I can tell. So, have you ever heard the story of Hercules? You guys know about Hercules? Now, this is not true. It's not in the Bible. Uh, uh, you know, I, I do think it's interesting, though, that very many cultures... See, I offended somebody. They're already walking out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, um, the, uh, there's, it's interesting, though, that there's cultures, including the Hawaiian culture, that have many stories connected to, like, these half-god, half-man type, type individuals. Uh, and I've got some theories about that that do tie into Scripture, but uh, I don't know. I, I've thought about doing what I call a fringe theology Bible study, stuff that's not essential, but, you know, I just think some things. Anybody ever just, I wonder... Anybody with me? So if you want to be a part of the fringe theology Bible study, then uh, let me know. So uh, we'll talk about guys like Hercules. So anyway, Hercules, now this is interesting. As the legend goes, as the Greek mythology is, Hercules was born of Zeus and uh, the, they call him the Eternals uh, or the Immortals. They decided, well, we're going to test him. We need to see if this guy is worthy of being a god. I promise I'm actually tying this into the Bible, so don't check out, don't walk out. Um, We need to see if this guy is worthy of being considered deity, a god. And so they ran him through a series of trials, and Hercules passed the trials. Uh, uh, he ended up fulfilling all of them. He received the power. He received the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the recognition that, yes, truly, he is worthy. And then they began to tell the stories of his feats and his accomplishment. It's a Greek word called praxis. Everybody say praxis. Okay, now it's not a god, please. Praxis is just a word. Everybody say praxis. I just want to make sure you're still with me. What does this have to do with anything? Praxis was the telling of the tales of Greek gods. It began with Hercules. It was the telling of the feats and accomplishments of Greek gods. Do you know what the word praxis translates to in English? Acts. This was in the Greek language... In a culture that was always telling the stories about their demigods and their accomplishments and their freaks. And they, they would call them the praxis of the gods, the praxis of Hercules. And so when Luke began to write the Bible, he's like, listen, you know, we've got a group of apostles who are always being called Gods. You'll see it multiple times where, where they would see people healed or, or they would see mighty demonstrations of the Spirit. And on multiple occasions, the apostles had to say, no, don't offer sacrifices to us. Don't bow down and worship us. We're just men like you. But it was so ingrained in the culture that they literally called this book Praxis. It was the Acts of the Apostles. Isn't that neat? 
So that's some etymology for you, some word studies. I, I just found that to be incredibly fascinating. And so you, you just think about how this begins. The Lord now, Jesus, has fulfilled his ministry. He has died. He is resurrected. And he told the disciples some crazy things. He said in, in Matthew chapter 16, he says, listen, you guys, I am going to build the church. And the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. This was the secret weapon that Jesus was releasing into the hands of the apostles. It was the church. I want you to understand what we do as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, this was Jesus' intention. This was his plan for extending his kingdom into the world. And there is no plan B, by the way. It's the church. It's the church. And so he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I, can I also highlight something I noticed about that? A gate is not a weapon of attack. A gate is a defensive mechanism. And I believe, you know, we, we live our, our lives so often like, hold the fort, the devil's out there to get us. I think it is a backwards form of thinking. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe when the church of Jesus Christ begins to operate in all that Jesus has called and anointed us to walk in, that hell literally is on the defense the church is the one that is on the offense. Hell is on the defense. I think it's time that we began to live this way, friend. And so we're going to advance the kingdom of God. And so he says, uh, uh, I, I say to you, he, talking to Peter, I will, uh, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He spends three years preparing his apostles for the ministry that he's about to release to them. Now you just imagine, Jesus dies, he is resurrected, and now he's ready to hand it off to these guys. And he's, he's primed them. We're going we're gonna to build the church. He tells them things like, go and preach the gospel. Go and disciple the world. Teach them the things that I taught you. And then he says, but first, wait. But first, wait. Now, I don't know how many of you are praying into vision for the new year. How many of you guys make resolutions coming into the new year? Does anybody make resolutions? Okay. Um, if you don't make resolutions, then, then consider making praying into some prophetic assignments from the Lord. Uh, because if you can't make resolutions for yourself, I promise God's got some things that he desires to work in you and through you over this next year. So you ought to lean into and seek what God desires to do over this next year. But I want to encourage us as we move into this time of prayer and fasting. Let's hone vision. Let's get an idea of some things that we want to accomplish as a church, things that you want to accomplish individually, things that are business-related, whatever. Get a vision for that, but wait. And I'm going to tell you the things that Jesus had to release to his di disciples before they were actually released in the ministry, okay? So, so I, I want to look at this, and if you have the notes here, you, you can see this. Uh, he said, fulfill the Great Commission, bring heaven to earth, disciple the world, work miracles, preach the gospel, but first, wait. Look at your neighbor and tell him to wait. You ever tell your kids, wait? 
Wait. Here's the first reason that he instructed them to wait. We are to wait until we receive God's vision. Everybody say God's vision. We need to operate with God's vision. It's one thing, you know, when, when, you know, we get some ideas and we get some, you know, man, I've got a burden. I've got a passion for, I won't say burden. I've got a passion for this, but there's moments where God begins to chip away those things. And it's like, man, you're close, but that's not exactly what I had in mind. I want you to think about this. Part of the way that Jesus instilled vision in his disciples, the Bible said that after he resurrected, he spent 40 days preaching to them about the kingdom of God. 40 days of preparing them. And we know that during this time of waiting, God was still honing that vision. Because they were like, Lord, should we build an army now? Are you going to overthrow the Romans and give the kingdom back to Israel? And Jesus is like, man, you guys don't get this. You, you don't get it yet. He had to hone their vision. You understand, oftentimes when we are in a place of difficulty, where when we're frustrated, when life circumstances are around, it's like, God, God, I just need you to do something and intervene in this situation. And that's not a bad thing to pray for. But sometimes God's got a bigger vision than you and I are thinking in our limited, in our limited scope of view. You see, these guys were oppressed by the Romans, and it was a miserable existence. They couldn't worship freely. We see through the book of Acts, these guys end up being persecuted. Most of them end up being killed. It was a horrible time. And they're thinking, God, you're going you're gonna to pour out power? Great. Let's use the power to overthrow the Romans and take control once again. They were thinking small. They were thinking, this is their lives. But here's what you understand when you look at the last 2,000 years, you see that leaders rise and fall. You see that kingdoms rise and fall. But Jesus was not just looking for a temporary victory over a certain nation. He was looking to establish something that would transform eternity, listen, for billions who would believe over the next thousands of years. That's big vision. That's God's vision right there. And I want to encourage, as we begin to lean in during this time of prayer and fasting, we need to get God's vision. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might even replace or put in parentheses next to vision, heart. We need God's heart. Because you understand we can say we're believing for 1,200 churches ministering to 120,000 people. We can throw out numbers like we're praying for $20,000 to flow through this church in a week. And we can throw out numbers like that, and it's just like, well, that's great. But when you understand the heart behind it, when you understand that every church that we start is reaching people that you and I aren't reaching yet, that every time we give in an offering, we're sending that off all around the world. 500 churches, new churches that are being established uh, all around the world. There's going to be people in heaven that may greet you at the gate and say, because you gave in an offering, there was a church that was started in Mozambique, and that's why I'm here. If we understand the heart behind it. I'll never forget, I share this. It was a pivotal moment for me in my walk with the Lord. 
My wife and I were on staff for a number of years with a very large church. The average weekend, they would minister to between seven and 8,000 people. And so on Easter, now I was responsible for all the outreach and evangelism that happened in that church. And we were planning the outreaches. We had the staff members all together. It's about 100 of us sitting in a room, and we were strategizing for our Easter outreach and ministry. And we set a goal for 13,000 people that we were going to minister to that weekend. And we were all looking through, okay, what's youth ministry going to look like? And what are, what are our worship teams going to do? And we were just, we were making these plans, and it was all wonderful. But out of nowhere, the pastor's wife just began weeping and crying. And it was like to the degree that it, it distracted the entire room until it was like awkward silence. And then the pastor finally said, Beck, hon, what's going on? And she says, we're praying for 13,000 people to come into our church on Easter weekend. But are we ready to love 13,000 people? And boy, there was something that hit the room in that moment. All of a sudden, what was, a, what was just a generic, numeric goal, all of a sudden we realized, these are souls. There are people. And it's fine. I, I didn't have a problem with reaching 13,000 people. I don't, I don't have a problem with big or small. But are we ready to love and disciple and engage that type of people? All of a sudden, that vision, I understood the heart behind it. And whatever our vision is, whether it's for a church or whether it's a giving goal or we're setting a vision for, for prayer or life groups, what I want to encourage each and every one of us is lean in until we get the heart of God. Are you with me today, church? This is the reason we wait. It's like, you know the disciples were chomping at the bit. Jesus, you poured into us for three years. Jesus, you've just raised from the dead. You've overcome the devil. You guys can just turn off these TVs. It's distracting me like crazy. I'm like, yeah, I can't handle that. Just turn it off. So, um, hallelujah. What was I saying? You know that the disciples, they were chomping at the bit. They were ready to go. But wait. Wait. And so I want to encourage each and every one of us, let's wait and let's lean into the vision. Now, the second thing, the second thing that we see here is they were to wait until they received God's Power. Everybody say power. This is huge. How many of you desire the power of the Holy Ghost? I'm contending for new levels of power. I'm contending for, man, greater miracles. I mean, I, I, I want stuff that just like, I mean, I, I saw one occasion. It was, it was my first year walking with the Lord, a woman come out of a wheelchair and it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. I know some of you have seen miracles like that as well. But it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. And I remember like, I mean like when my daughter was born. Anybody ever, you, you remember that moment? I remember when my daughter was born. It was the first time I saw. And it was ex especially exciting for us because... Um, we hadn't had the sonograms and all that kind of stuff, so we didn't know the gender of the baby or anything. It was the most exciting thing ever. If you, if you have babies, I'd encourage that. It was so fun. And so we were just, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. We didn't know anything. And so I remember, though, as I saw 
my little girl for the first time, I felt like I had tunnel vision. I felt like for a moment the entire world just stopped and all I could see was that beautiful little baby girl. She's still my baby girl even though she's as tall as I am now. And so, anyway, the first time I saw a miracle, it was like that. I remember I watched this man of God step down from the pulpit and take this woman in a wheelchair by the hand. And I watched as she stood to her feet. I saw as if muscle and tissue began to reform on her leg. And it was the very same thing. I felt like tunnel vision. I felt like... Am I really seeing this right now? I mean, it just, it, it boggles the mind. Church, let's contend for that kind of stuff this year. Let's believe for the power of God to move in unprecedented measure. Part of that's going to happen when we understand the heart and the vision of God. We understand God's heart for healing. Boy, you're going to move with a new fervor. It's like I feel this deep-bedded conviction. Jesus paid for people to be healed. I need to release healing. Jesus paid for this to happen. So you and I walk under an obligation to lay hands on sick people and see them recover. It's a conviction for me, and that's why we'll always have healing time. That's why we'll have these moments of ministry. But we need to, we need to wait until we receive God's power. And that happened a couple of different ways. The Bible says in Acts 1-3, we read the verse earlier, that for 40 days Jesus preached to them about the kingdom. Before the Holy Ghost encounter, hear me, friend, before the Holy Ghost knocked down, drag out, tongues of fire in the room, whirlwind sweeping, man, I want that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. You guys know I'm a, I'm a wild Pentecostal. I like to flop around on the floor. I want people laughing and crying and floating in glory clouds. Any, you know, whatever. If it's God, I want it. Are you with me on that? And so some of you are like, I don't know about all that. That's fine. But you understand, Jesus built a foundation before they had the Holy Ghost encounter. For 40 days, he preached to them, and then it was actually another 10 days that they were waiting and praying in the upper room before they experienced the outpouring. It is so important. I know as spirit-filled believers, we live for the experience. We live for the encounter, and that's wonderful. But if we don't have the Word as our foundation, I'm telling you, friend, your life, your theology, your walk with God is built on a shaky foundation, and it will crumble. If adversity or sin or trial comes your way, it will not stand. We need the Word of God. In fact, one of the things that Jesus did, you can see this in Luke 24. He says in verse 49, he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father to you. Tarry, wait in the city of Jerusalem till you are endued with power from on high. But before he said that, look a couple verses earlier in verse 44. This is Luke 24. He says, These are the words that I spoke while I was with you that everything must be fulfilled which was written in the law of Moses and the prophets. He's preaching to them Bible. Why am I about to pour out the promise of my Father? Because I have fulfilled the prophetic words that have been laid out. And then verse 45, He opened their understanding that they may comprehend the Scriptures. Listen. 
Before you get the Holy Ghost, I'm going to open your mind so you understand what the Bible has to say about me and about the Holy Ghost. Are you seeing this? Part of the reason he says, wait, before you get in the fire tunnel. You guys know what a fire tunnel is? We did a, yeah, we do fire tunnels. I like that. It's not very COVID friendly, uh, but we, uh, but we do fire tunnels. Hallelujah. And so, uh, but I will always preach the word. It is our foundation. You understand, understanding what the Lord says. There was a time in my life where I was just beginning my walk with the Lord. No, that's not true. I, I just graduated Bible school. And during that time, I watched two pastors who I looked up to fail morally. Both fell into adultery. And I'm looking at this thinking, I don't even want to be a part of this. But I thank God there was something that came into my heart in that moment. When you get God's perspective and you understand what his word says. It's like I just got God's perspective. People are stupid. But Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. And I could join the whole slew of people who get offended and wounded and leave the church. Or I can be part of the church that Jesus bled and died for and he is returning for. Am I going to be a part of the problem or a part of the solution? And that's where instead of withdraw myself... Even though people hurt me, people I trusted, people I looked up to. I said, you know what? I'm going to be different. I'm going to be what I never had growing up. I'm going to be the difference. You, you understand, church. You and I have the opportunity to do that and to be that. And I believe that so much of it is founded on the Word. Now, I've had wonderful encounters with the Holy Ghost I'm going to be in the Nathan Morris meetings. I'm going to go down for every altar call, even if, you know, even if they don't invite me. I'm going to be down there. That's how I am. That's how I've always been. I'm hungry. But you ask my wife, every day, every night, I'm in the Word of God for hours. I try and read between the Bible and other Christian books for two hours every day. And I have been that way from early on in my Christian walk. Now, I go after the Holy Ghost. Don't get me wrong. I'm after encounters. I'm in the prayer meetings. I, I, I want to contend, but I know. You, you want to know why your pastor has never fallen in adultery? I've never fallen back into drug addiction. I've never fallen into pornography. I'm not going that way. You want to know why? Because every day I spend time in the Word of God. I get the heart of God. I spend time. It's real hard to spend time being close to Jesus and then go right over to some, to some sin. You understand? I believe that we would see greater victory in the house of God and amongst the people of God if we would take the word of God as our guide and as our foundation. Are you with me, church? I can tell you're with me. Hallelujah. So the second thing, they, were, they waited until they received power. Uh, so they received God's word. They, they were faithful to pray, verse 14. Guys, if you're not praying in the midst of this fast, you're on a diet. So, 
We got, we got prayer every day. We're going to meet at 8 o'clock every day. Uh, you can get on the King Central app uh, on your phone. We have devotions every day. We've got a calendar that has prayer focuses every single day. We're doing what we can to assist you in the place of prayer. Prayer is not like in addition to, you know, it's not just to compliment the services or compliment the ministry. No, it is the lifeblood of everything that we do. Please spend time in prayer. If you're going to set yourself aside to, to fast, boy, you better make sure that you're in prayer. The other, the other part is, uh, <laughs> then we see they were clothed with power. Oh, my goodness. Now, I know I spent a minute just kind of dogging on people that only want the Holy Ghost and don't spend time in the Word, but let me flip it for a second. There's a whole world of people Preach to me the word, and preach to me more of the word, and teach to me the word. And they never have encounters with the Holy Ghost. In fact, 2 Timothy talks about a moment. Paul warns about a day that was coming where people would have a form of godliness, but they would be deniers of the power of God. Well, I believe in the Bible, but I don't go in for all that healing stuff. I believe in the Bible, but I don't know about that Holy Ghost. Man, that's just, that's just kind of weird. I had people that tell me, come into this church, uh, I'm not sure if I believe in the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, even a Baptist boy will believe in the Holy Ghost. How do you not believe in it? But they've just not been taught. People have not been taught. And, I, and I, here's my commitment to you, church. We're always going to be a, a house of prayer. And we're always going to be a place that makes room for the Holy Ghost. We're always going to make room for the Holy Ghost. I remember coming into to Bible school. And I'd been, I'd, I'd grown up Baptist boy. Heard a lot of good preaching, never an altar call. A lot of good teaching, never prophetic, never healing, never, never even salvation calls. And that's why I lived my life as a drug addict for so many years. And I lived just, you know, this greasy grace kind of thing, you know, oh, I'll just ask forgiveness before I die and that'll, and that'll be the end of it. But I had an encounter with the power of God when I was dying of a drug overdose. I didn't need scripture in that moment. I needed an encounter with the Holy Ghost. And I thank God. He touched me and he raised me up. And it began this hunger like, God, you're, you're more than a song. You're more than a verse of scripture. And you've heard how I value those things. But you're more than that. You're living and you're active and you're here and you can touch and you can minister and you can fill. And oh, God, you're, 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 you're here now. Oh, my goodness. I remember coming into these these prayer meetings at Christ for the Nations. I'd never grown up around Pentecost. And I, I just remember a men's meeting where about 200 boys just began singing and praying in tongues. And, and I didn't know what that was all about. But I, I just remember feeling like this, like this swirl, this whirlwind all around me. Like, God, what is this? It just began to stir me so much. I, I remember my spiritual father. I didn't know him. I didn't know about Brownsville. I didn't know about that revival. But I remember Steve Hill coming, and he preached a fiery message. And then I watched as he came down off the altars and began saying, fire! And you watch the power of God just rock people. And I'm just like, what is this? Oh, my goodness, I've never seen anything like that. And it put this hunger on the inside of me. I'm telling you guys, I just became fanatical hungry for Jesus. 
I just did. I like, I mean, you ask my wife. She met me during this time when I was in Bible school. They'd be like, you know, <laughs> they'd be like, you know, come down to the altar if you need, you know, freedom from generational curses. And I'm like, I don't know what a generational curse is, but I better go see. And so I, you know, I, I go down there. Maybe the Lord will touch me. And so, I mean, just, I'm for real, like everything. And every altar call, I was just down there. People like call for, uh, you know, hey, if you've got this kind of call on your life, and I don't got any of that kind of call, but I better go and just make sure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, no, nah, I could kind of, oh, yeah, sure, let's go. And that's just, that's, and I've not lost that. I'm still hungry. You know, and I love dragging people along, like my brother Jeremy. You know, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, you know, he loves the Holy Ghost. But he never grew up in these, in these Pentecostal meetings, very similar to me. And, and I, I, I tell him certain things. You, you just feel those moments where the Spirit of God just begins to move into the room. I said, Jeremy, let's get up there right now. He's like, why? <laughs> I'm like, we want to be there when the glory comes down. And so we do. Like, you know, I just come sneak out of the seat and just come, like, stand at the front. That way, when they open up the altars, it's like one step and I'm there. I'm right in the front. I don't know. Some of you guys think I'm crazy, but this is how. I would dodge security. I'm going to teach you guys so you don't, you know, we, uh, is this all right? I'm just, I'm telling stories now. I, um, so John Kilpatrick comes and he ministers. And again, I didn't know who John Kilpatrick was. He was, you know, still a great revival pastor, the Brownsville, and, uh, and, and that revival with Nathan Morris, who will be uh, at the cathedral next week, hosted Mighty Revival. And I remember John Kilpatrick, he stood up and they prayed. It was, a, it was a large meeting, probably four or 5,000 people. And Kilpatrick begins to pray. How many of you have ever heard John Kilpatrick pray before? The man just begins this, uh, it sounds like an Indian war cry. There's no way to describe it. In fact, he, he describes it himself as a, a cow groaning. He just, like, he just lets out this groan. And I'm telling you, the moment he began to lift up his voice, something shifted in the room. It felt as if a river just began flowing from the pulpit down into the congregation. I mean, it was the wildest thing. And I remember Cindy Jacobs went over to Kilpatrick, prophesied a word over him, and laid hands on him, and he goes out under the power of God. And I was so mad. I'm like, I had made sure that I was the first guy down in the altar and now he's out under the power of God. He's not praying for nobody. So, you know, they're worshiping. They're going after God. Some other people are praying. But I want, I want Pastor John to pray for me. And so uh, finally, after about 15, 20 minutes, um, uh, some of the ushers come over and they pick up Pastor Kilpatrick and they put him on a chair on the stage. And I'm like, I'll just go to him for prayer. And so I go, again, this is a large gathering, okay? So I start up the stairs, and then there's Kevin. Nope. It wasn't actually Kevin, but it was a security guy. Stopped me from going up. And uh, nope, sorry, only pastors. I'm like, okay. So here's what I did. I knew. I knew how the building was laid out. So I go out the back door. <laughs> I go around the side into the, out, the external door that leads into the green room. 
because the green room had a door that led straight on stage. Okay, so I did that. I walked around the entire building, you know, down the side hall. I go into the green room and I, you know, see the leaders of the meeting and just wave at them. And I just go straight out on the stage. And, uh, you know, and I did. I, I went down and, Minister, you better come up on the piano. I need to stop. <laughs> I went up to Pastor Kilpatrick and I, I actually knelt down in front of him and, and I said, Pastor John. I said, I'm just getting saved, but when I hear your stories and, and the ways that God has used you, oh, that's all I desire in my life is to be a part of a mighty move of God like that. Pastor, would you pray for me? And I hit my knees and, you know, I was only one of three guys that he prayed for that night. There were, certain, there were a couple other pastors who'd flown in all the way from Africa can't remember the nation, but they'd flown all the way from Africa just for that meeting. He prayed for those two guys, and he prayed for me. And he prayed, God, everything that you've done in me. I, I remember exactly what he prayed. He's like, God, I don't know if I have anything to give this young man. He just prayed that God would use me. The very same anointing that was resting upon his life, he prayed that God would impart into my life. And I didn't feel anything dramatic or, or, or life transforming or shaking in that moment. You know, you, you'd think that maybe I would, but, but I know there was something that was planted in that moment. And I know I've had many moments like that over these years. I digging into the Word of God, and I spend time in prayer, but oh, oh, those encounters with the Holy Ghost, they're so precious, church. They're so precious, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we just stand to our feet right now? Come on, I don't know if you're stirred, but I, I feel the Holy Ghost even now. Can we just begin to ask him to pour out in our lives right now? Can we just ask him, Holy Spirit, come on, just, just begin to talk to him, invite him. Just invite him right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. And so I ask you, Lord, to pour out by your presence, pour out by your glory, pour out by your power. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we ask you, come. Just as on the day of Pentecost, would you pour out upon your sons and daughters. Oh, Lord, we ask you to anoint us. Lord, we ask you to pour out your spirit, your presence, and your power in the mighty name of Jesus. Would you fill us to overflowing? Oh, Lord, that we would be endued with power from on high in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we ask you, we ask you pour out your presence and your glory in our midst. Lord, we're not satisfied with what we've seen and what we've experienced. We know that there's more. And so we ask you, Lord, to pour out your glory, pour out your power, pour out the fire of your Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, would you fill us? 
Oh, it's just on the day of Pentecost, Lord. There was a fire for everyone. And so, Lord, I ask your fire come, your fire fall, a fire for all in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, fill us, fill us, anoint us, use us for your glory and for your namesake in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, oh Holy Spirit, come, oh Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, breathe upon us, Lord, breathe upon us, Lord, breathe upon us, oh Lord, oh we need you, oh we need you, Holy Ghost, oh we need Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. We have our show code.